Good morning, friends. What a beautiful, beautiful day. This is what we've been waiting for, I guess, for the last five or six months. Um, but welcome, and uh, I hate to interrupt the fellowship. And as usual, I hope you uh, all join one another for fellowship and fellowship hall right after the service. It's, uh, I'm sure pretty soon we'll be having lemonade out in the front yard. At least that's my, my hope. Um, if you would, as usual, please sign the pew pads, whether you're a guest or uh, a regular. We'd love to know who's here, and it also gives us a way to get in touch with people that uh, would like to have some kind of contact. So without further ado, Bruce, if you would, uh, Bruce is a beautiful prelude this morning, Johann Sebastian Bach, and uh, I've heard it earlier, and it's spectacular. Thank you, Bruce.
Well, if that doesn't echo this, the tone that God has set in the beautiful weather today, I don't know what will. Please join me, friends, in our opening call to worship. How very good and pleasant it is when kindred live in unity. For there the Lord ordained his blessing. Let us worship the risen God. join me in the prayer of the day, friends. Infinite wisdom, you bring the dawn of each new day. We praise your name for sending Christ with the promise of new life. 
you scatter the clouds of darkness so that our eyes can behold the truth of your love. You replace the finality of death with an affirmation of life without ending. You burst upon our being with each ray of sunlight, bringing light to illumine our world with the presence of your redeeming grace. As we stand on the threshold of your magnificence, be pleased with our worship as we utter your name. Amen. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from unrighteousness. O God of forgiveness, we pray for new life as we confess our old ways. We have just celebrated Easter, and yet our old self-doubt has quickly reasserted itself. Hope is proclaimed, yet we seek certainty and guarantees. Christ calls us to obedience, but we set conditions. When called on to follow, we ask to what end. We applaud commitment, but treasure our comfort. Forgive our reluctance to walk in the light. That which, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard and seen with our eyes concerning the word of life, we proclaim to you. The life was made manifest and we testify to it. If we say we have fellowship with God while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. If we confess our sins, Jesus Christ is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we believe the good news of the gospel and walk in the light. seated, friends. Well, Bruce, clearly you did, and I did. Did any of you miss the Gloria Patri during Lent? It's back. I was looking at my home church's website and noticed that they have a tradition in that particular church of packing up the Alleluias during Lent. And on Easter Sunday, the minister took this chest, and she had a string from the back of the lid so that when she pulled it, some engineer had rigged it, God bless engineers, such that the alleluias would just pop out of the chest and the kids were like, oh my gosh, the alleluias are back. Well, the Gloria Patri is back. But the good news is, friends, that we can thank God all year round and in all circumstances. And we have an attestation to that in our lesson 
from the history book of the church, which is the book of Acts. I invite you to hear God's word to you from Acts 4. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person amongst them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to any as any had need. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it's always my joy and privilege to invite our young persons up into the chancel, and I have a special invitation for you today, something for you to take. Come on up. Come on up. Aaron, what's your favorite color? What's your favorite color? Take a googly eyes. Mmm, what do you think? You got your favorite? You got your favorite, Miss Anna? What do you think, Sophie? Mmm, Miss Dykeman, what do you think? Samantha, what do you think? What do you think? Oh, Addie, love the braids. So cute. Did your big sister do that for you? Oh, that's so very cool. Hey, folks! We've got some extra eyes here. What do you think? Did everybody get one? No. Who didn't get one? Finley didn't get one, Maddie? Would you take an extra one to her for me, please? Oh my goodness, what a sharing gal you are. Did you get one, Andrew? What do you think? You ladies want one too? What do you think? Finley, we've got some extra ones here. Now I've got a question for each of you. Should we divide the rest of these up and then fight over who's going to get the most of them? Or should we take a look around and, you know, maybe there are some some faces out here that haven't realized that spring really has sprung, and they, they might need some googly eyes to make them laugh. What do you think? Should we do that for them? Yeah? Okay, go ahead. Come on, take them. Go find somebody who needs a googly eye. Somebody needs a smile. Go share. Go share. Go do it. Somebody needs to smile. Maybe you'll take more than two. I don't know. You gotta divide these up. Go, 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 go. Who needs them? Who needs them? Go, go, go. And then come back, please. Who else needs them? Who needs a smile? I don't know. Go find somebody who needs a smile. Go ahead. Go ahead. What do you think? That was fun. I agree. You know, it's really, it's really fascinating to me. The choice that you all made together, there wasn't a single one of you who said, no, I want to fight over it. The choice that you made is the same one that all of the people who had made who were listening to the disciples in our Acts story for today. And the text says, nobody claimed private ownership of anything. In other words... They didn't function by toddler rules. How many of you know the toddler rules? What's mine is mine, and what's yours is mine too, right? Those are the toddler rules. The early church was of one heart and soul. Everything they owned was held in common, and it was distributed to each as any had need. 
oh my gosh, you guys pulled it off. How did they pull off this utopian, unrealistic, certainly not worldly attitude? How did they do it? Any ideas? Dead silence. Well, actually, the text tells us how they pulled this off. Later in that reading, the answer is, with great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. What was that power? That power was the power of the Holy Spirit, the invisible, incomprehensible, indefatigable, it's a really fast, long word that says, never tires out, that power that comes from the Holy Spirit. And it's the power of the Holy Spirit that adopts us into the church when we're baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the sleepy Holy Spirit. It is the power of the Holy Spirit that is with us and present in the elements, the bread that we break and the cup that we bless. It is the power of the Holy Spirit when we receive the Holy Spirit that allows us to see miracles around us no matter what they might be. They could be very ordinary things, but all of a sudden they appear to be extraordinary, extraordinary gifts. It's that power of the Holy Spirit that allows us to do those things, to feel those things, to be lifted up beyond what we might earthly experience. And I'm convinced that we could all use a little more Holy Spirit power. Do you think so too? So, Would you like a little tip as to how we can call upon that Holy Spirit power anytime, any place? I've got to repeat after me prayer. Ready? Come, Holy Spirit. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Come, Holy Spirit. Be our guest. And let these gifts to us be blessed. Okay, all together. Ready? We're going to say it all the way through. Come, Holy Spirit, be our guest, and let these gifts to us be blessed. Amen and amen. Now go spread that googly-eye cheer and Holy Spirit to everybody in the world, okay? Have a great time in the kingdom. Carrie, you did a great job in handling that text, which always makes me think of communism, you know, in its own way. <laughs> Just really something else that that text should show up there. We have, we have a text that is commonly read on the Sunday after Easter, the gospel lesson. I'm going to read that very traditional passage from the Gospel of John. If you thought that Easter went really, really well... On the Easter morning, Jesus rises from the grave, but by Easter night, things are not going very well. When it was evening that day, the first day of the week, meaning Easter Sunday, the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. 
And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nails and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, ah, like today, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt but believe. Thomas said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and through believing you might have life in his name. And with that, John explains here why he wrote his gospel. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Our epistle lesson for today is taken from the letter that John writes, his first and the first chapter. We declare to you what was known from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not know what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, the God who is faithful and just will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not just for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. God bless Lucian Rouse for making available to anyone who asks cases of the case for Christ. Go ahead, if you haven't already read Lee Strobel's Apology for the Existence of Jesus Christ, you can pick up a copy. They're in the fellowship hall. He makes certain that everybody has an opportunity to hear the case for Christ. You know, at times in our doubting lives, we could all use some proof that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. Just as God is, I am who he says I am. In this season of Eastertide, when we traditionally have the privilege of reading through Acts, there is no better proof that Jesus is who he says he is than the before and the after pictures of the disciples. Think about it. Before Pentecost, these disciples were dense, timid bumblers who fled at the least sign of trouble. Remember Peter? denying Jesus three times, but afterwards, they were fearless leaders. They healed the sick and cast out demons. They went to jail gladly where they sang hymns until the walls tumbled down. I often ask myself, how did this transformation occur? Well, we read about it in the book of Acts, the history book of the church. On that day of Pentecost, which was a Jewish festival that they appropriated set 50 days after Passover, the disciples were all together in one place when they were given so much Holy Spirit, it was like drinking from a fire hose. (laughs) Good luck with that one. First there was wind, and then there was fire, and then they were filled with the Holy Spirit and overflowing with these strange babbling languages, the reverse of the Tower of Babel. They may not have known what they were saying, But certainly everyone 
that their languages had drawn did. Devout Jews from all over the world stood in the doorways and windows, listening to a bunch of Galileans, those backwater, uneducated people. They were telling about the power of God in their own tongue so that nobody was left out. Medes, Parthians, nobody was left out. The Holy Spirit turned out to be a phenomenal linguist whom every person present could understand. And it still baffled them all, the speakers and the listeners. A miracle happened that day, to which our writers of John, Acts, and 1 John all attest. And the miracle happened by the power of the Holy Spirit, which, interestingly enough, the Bible talks about in at least two very different ways. First, the Holy Spirit is talked about as the abiding presence of God in Christ, with all the safety and comfort that that relationship promises. That's what we've been saying about, breathe on me, breath of God, that lovely, wonderful, abiding presence and spirit that lifts us from our loneliness and despair and anger. It is that spirit that smooths the ruffled feathers, revives our weary souls, and the one that, lo, is with us, even to the end of the age. As long as we have the good sense to breathe in and say thank you. This is a spirit that assures us. But there's another way the spirit acts. Not another spirit, but another manifestation of this same spirit that is clearly not so comforting. This spirit blows and burns, howling down the chimney and chilling our bones with a long winter, just like we've come through, and we're going to say no more to winter. Ask Job about the whirlwind or Ezekiel about the burning chariots of fire. Ask anyone who was in the room on Pentecost and what it was like to be caught up in the Spirit and whether or not this was something that they wanted to experience every Sunday. The dean at the Episcopal Church in San Francisco, Alan Jones, suggests that the Spirit is most present in three dark places in our lives. In the unpredictable, in the places of risk, and in the places beyond our control. And you know how much each of us likes to feel as if we're in control. Well, our disciples in today's gospel reading were certainly in all three of those dark places. Everything predictable, the traveling to new towns with Jesus, learning from his teaching, watching miracles occur on a regular basis, gathering baskets of bread and fish to give to everybody, letting children come to him, and then getting up and starting that routine every day, all over again. All that predictability was destroyed on that so-called Good Friday. This time, the doors were locked because Jerusalem was now a risky place to those who declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Anointed One. The disciples were huddled in fear because they had come face to face with the reality that they had absolutely no control over the events of their lives that had taken them from the triumphal entry of Palm Sunday right through the Holy Week heck that gets them to the point where they have the gut-wrenching loss of their Savior, their teacher, their dreams, and perhaps most devastatingly, the death of their hope. The darkness did seem to overcome them. First John tells us that if we want to walk in the light, we must turn around confess and reorient our lives by the light of the world. 
If we try to deceive ourselves, the truth is not in us. In other words, we haven't received, breathed in that life-giving breath and allowed it to renew our hearts, minds, bodies, and souls. When Jesus told the disciples that he would now send them just as God had sent him, he knew exactly well what would happen to them when he did send them. And he knows full well what will happen to us when we receive the Spirit and choose to walk in the light. We can forget everything we knew about what was right and who was in charge in the world. We can get ready to revise all of our notions about what makes someone great or right or worthy of attention. If we think we know which way is up, think again. Remember, this is the God who emptied himself and took on the form of a slave. We think we know how things should turn out in the end. Get ready to be wrong. This Jesus is about one surprise after another. Go ahead, Jesus says. Put your hands in mine. Touch the holes. Or reach out and put your hand in my side. We cannot second-guess him. All we can do is love him. And perhaps on a more difficult level, yet a more critical level, we can let him love us. Sometimes his love is so strong that it can scare us to death. What do we do in those dark moments and places? Repent. Return. Revise. Reinvent ourselves. Then we can go get born again by water and the Spirit. We walk into the river of death with him. We go under with him. And while we are down, we let the current carry us away until everything that stands between God's life-giving gift and us is washed away. Then when all of our own breath is gone, we let him give us some of his. Receive the Holy Spirit, he says. Breathe in. Let it save our life. And when he rises, we rise with him so that our life is no longer our own. We died down there. And we can borrow his life now. We can let someone make the sign of the cross on our forehead to remind us that we have joined a community of believers that are called his body because we believe that his heart beats in every one of ours. Are you prepared? Are you ready to be astonished by all the things that can happen when people breathe in the Holy Spirit? People have been known to stop, step up onto platforms and say audacious things. Cautious cautious people have become daredevils. Frugal people have become philanthropists. And people who are as sour as dill pickles are suddenly rich with friends. There is no limit to what the Holy Spirit can do. We just can't hold our breath. That's all. We have to keep breathing. Keep paying attention. Keep responding to whatever crazy idea the Spirit gives to us next. Reach out our hands and put it in his side. Some people call it intuition. Some people call it inspiration. But since that evening on the first day, the first day of the week, the church has always called it the Holy Spirit. And it is rarely what, where, or when we expect it to be. Did you know that scientists have devised a game to prove how hard it is for us to notice something when we're not expecting it the way it comes out? 
Here's how it goes. They sit you down at a table in front of a deck of cards, and they start asking you to identify six of the cards. You turn up first the three of hearts, the jack of clubs. This is easy. Wait a minute. What was that one? I don't recognize that one. So they pull the deck out again, and they do it again. The three of hearts, the jack of clubs. Wait a minute. So they slow it down a third time to try and catch you up. Jack of hearts, the three of clubs. Oh, wait a minute. The deck has been fixed. You see, that last card that you couldn't get is, in fact, the six of spades. But it's not black. It's red. And we can't see a red six of spades. Someone has changed the rules, rules that prevented us from seeing what was there. You can't see a red spade because they're supposed to be black. Our expectations, however faithful, may prevent us from seeing what is plainly there. You know, I've often wondered, at which meal I'm going to have Jesus show up and explain to me the whole history of the prophets and my role in this world, and then poof, He's going to disappear just as he did when he had this exercise with those who were walking to Emmaus after he was killed. Red spades have always been hard to see. Even though Jesus had eaten with his disciples more than once, they didn't expect what he did at the Last Supper together. He had been the host at the supper in more ways than one. He had the food catered from the Judean equivalent of Wegmans, so you know it was good. He was the food. He was first the one who said to his friends, watch and take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, as he's doing this, I can picture a lot of questioning looks being exchanged amongst those twelve. Then he said the same puzzling thing over the cup. This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant shed for you in my blood. Now, if Jesus had said to them, take, understand, no one could have done it. But he didn't say that. He said, take, eat. And so they did. And from that moment on, every time they ate, they remembered him. And every time we eat, we have the opportunity to remember him. Easter had changed everything for them. They had felt God's fire on their head and God's wind in their face, and they were all different. Things that they had been afraid of before didn't frighten them anymore. They had found new strength in themselves, new wisdom that they never knew they had. Sounds like a fairy tale or something straight out of Disney, but it isn't. Every time we break bread together, The Holy Spirit is around us, and Jesus is with us, not because we invited him, but because he invited us. He is the host in more ways than one. He catered the food. He is the food, the breath, the life, and the light. So knowing that, what do we do? Just out of John, you hear the words from Jesus. Receive the Holy Spirit.
In gratitude for God's word and for the preaching of it, we have this prayer. Source of life who raised Christ from the dead, all that we have reflects your eternal love. As those in the infant church in Jerusalem brought gifts for those in need, so we too bring offerings as a sign of our commitment and concern. Accept them as our testimony to Christ's resurrection and cause them to be distributed so that others may live. Amen. Just as those faithful disciples were walking on the road to Emmaus and they encountered Jesus but didn't know it, they finally got to a place where they could have a little bit of a meal. They invited him to stay. And as he broke the bread, they discovered who he really was and he vanished. But he leaves us this legacy. He has prepared all for us. So come. Allow the Holy Spirit to fill each one of us. Please join me in prayer. You are holy, O God, and blessed is Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, whom you sent to save us. He came with healing in his touch and was wounded for our sins. He came with mercy in his voice and was mocked as one despised. He came with peace in his heart and met with violence and death. By your power he broke free from the prison of the tomb and at his command the gates of hell were opened. The one who was dead now lives. The one who humbled himself is raised to rule over all creation. The one ascended on high is with us always as he promised. 
Remembering all of your mighty and merciful acts, we take this bread and this wine from the gifts you have given us, and we've gathered around this table to celebrate with joy the redemption won for us in Christ. We ask that you might accept this, our sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving in this service of worship, as a living and holy offering of ourselves. Gracious God, we ask that you will pour out your Holy Spirit upon us, and that you will pour it out upon these gifts of bread and wine, so that the bread we break and the cup we bless might be the communion of the body and blood of Christ. By your Spirit, make us one. Make us one with Christ, that we might be one with all who share this feast. Then, nourished at this table, may we know Christ's redemptive love and live a new life in him. Help us who recognize our Lord in the breaking of bread to see and serve him in all whose lives are broken. Keep us faithful in your service until Christ comes in final victory and we feast with all your saints. Through Christ, all glory and honor are yours, almighty God, with the Holy Spirit in your church, now and forever. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, our Lord and Savior took a simple loaf of bread, and after he had given thanks for it to God, he broke it, and he gave it to each and every one of his disciples, saying, Take, eat, not take, understand. Take, eat. This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me.
on that Thursday evening when Jesus celebrated dinner with his disciples. It was a Passover feast, and at that meal, they would have had four cups of wine to drink. The third of those would have been known as the cup of Elijah, or the cup of the covenant. Jesus gave it very new meaning when he said, this cup is the cup of the new covenant poured out in my blood for the forgiveness of sin. He said, as often as you eat of this bread and drink of this cup, you proclaim my death until I come again. Behold the cup of salvation. Drink you all of it.
proclaim this Sunday when we celebrate Easter rising and revelations that come to us in surprising ways. Jack Mooney, I want to thank you for this prayer request. And I want to express to you as I'm, as I'm sharing this that I would hope that every child would be as proud of their parents as Jack is. My dad enjoys his new job and position at Logical Operations. Congratulations. Well done, Mike. We also give thanks and praise for the beautiful flowers, for they are given by Lori Cornfield in memory, loving memory of her grandmother. And we thank you for adorning and gracing us with those, Lori. We also give thanks and praise for the gift of resurrection that comes to each one of us. God has received into the kingdom the emeritus pastor from Third Presbyterian Church, the Reverend Bill Young. If any of you had known him over the years, he was in his 90s, and he joins his beautiful Anne in heaven, and a wonderful service was held this week in his loving memory. Similarly, yesterday we had a memorial service here for Bev Fink, who passed away three months ago, and her family decided to come back here and celebrate her resurrection because this church has meant so much to all of them throughout their lives. We do have a prayer request, and it's on behalf of a young lady who normally sits right where the Gracianos are with Kathy and Anna Mae. We're praying for Judy Lewis, a member of the Ark household and community. She's here most every Sunday, but unfortunately this week she's in the ICU suffering from pneumonia, and so we pray for her and for those who are giving her good care. Please join me in prayer, friends. Loving God, you dry the tears of those who weep and bring hope and comfort to all who mourn. We give you thanks for the peace of Christ and the signs of his sovereignty over life. We cannot hide from your presence, O Holy One. You know all of our needs. We're an open book to the one who created us. You have sent Jesus to be our intercessor and redeemer. We give you thanks that through him we can approach you with trust and confidence. We give thanks for your providence and care for creation. You reign supreme in spite of betrayal, doubt, suspicion, destruction, and greed. Implant within us the peace that Christ bestowed upon his frightened disciples. Send us forth in the spirit with wisdom to resolve differences, grace to pray for those who hate us, and vision to strive for harmony in the midst of discord and strife. We give thanks for the forgiveness offered freely to all through Christ's resurrection from the dead. From now on, we can live confident of your grace. Help us to awaken to the assurance of Easter and to be more attuned to the mercy you bestow. Deliver us from bondage to limits both real and imagined, from principalities and powers that seek to crush us. Let the light of Christ dispel the shadows, making bright the pathway you would have us walk. You are the source of our sanctuary, the haven to whom we turn in times of distress. You are the judge of our decisions and actions. We give you thanks for your abiding forbearance, as promised in Christ, who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be and abide with each and every one of us this day and forevermore.